I have a short joke for you if you promise to laugh, okay? There was this guy standing beside a river and he's trying to figure out how to cross the river. So he sees a man on the other side of the river and he yells across to him and says, how do I get to the other side of the river? And the guy looked at him and yelled back, you're already on the other side of the river. <laughs> yeah. Boy, uh, perception's an important thing, isn't it? How you're looking at it, what's, what's your angle? It is so much better to be 2,000 years after the birth of Christ I, than it would have been to be 2,000 years before. You know, 2,000 years before, Moses said, God's gonna send a prophet to you like me. And then for hundreds of years, for centuries, uh, the Jewish people lived on the basis of hope confidence that God was going to send that Messiah one day. And then when the day came, and uh, Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Galatians, when the fullness of the time had come, God sent his son. And so that means it was at exactly the right moment in history that Jesus came. And when Jesus came, all these wonderful things accompanied his birth. Uh, angelic visitations, literal angelic dreams, uh, we see uh, kings from other lands traveling, following this mysterious star and coming to worship. And we see other kings that are panicking and fearing that they're going to lose their power. And the, the, the heavens opening and just bursting forth with light and joy, opening up heaven and seeing myriads and myriads and myriads of angels worshiping, uh, which is what the shepherds saw on that night. But uh, connecting Christmas to the whole concept of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is really an important thing to do. Now, we don't want to truncate the whole thing and say that his life didn't matter. It did, and it is a part of the whole plan of salvation and a part of what he came to do for us. But one uh, man said this. I read this probably 30 years ago, maybe longer. He said, the wood of the manger rubbed up against the stone of the tomb because Jesus came for a purpose, and his purpose was to come and to live the life he lived and to carry out that three-year ministry of revealing to us what the kingdom of God is actually like. But his purpose was culminated in going to the cross and the resurrection. And we know that when that happened, uh, we had access to forgiveness of sins. You know that. that that's, that's what the Bible tells us. That, that salvation is the forgiveness of sins. We know that with, with that comes a new heart. You become a new person. The old things that you used to love and desire more, has more to do with our desires. The old things that you desire are gone, and you desire this whole new way, and your heart longs to follow God and, and to seek God, so you get a new heart, a new nature. You're no longer a sinner by nature. You are righteous by nature. We know that that happens, and we know then that this Christian life is walked out a step at a time as God works in our lives that our minds are renewed so that the truth of God's kingdom lines up with the truth of my new heart through my mind being renewed. And as my mind is renewed, I walk more and more and more in the way of Jesus. What we often don't think about, though, is that salvation also includes resurrection for us. We think, well, yeah, resurrection, Jesus. 
Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and he was, the Bible says he was the first fruits, and, and the others will come, and the others are believers in him. And we need to understand a little more about the resurrection of Christ. And this whole uh, series on Advent that we've done this year, we took from um, the prophet Isaiah, who uh, talks about many different themes of the kingdom and of the Messiah's coming. And one of them was resurrection. So I want you to go away today understanding what resurrection is, understanding when it will happen, and, and having your heart kind of lit up with hope because of that. And so you look in, in the Bible, in one of the Christmas stories, I thought I should read at least one verse about the Christmas story. <clears throat> and I chose this one because behind this is the belief that there is resurrection. Without resurrection, this passage would not make any sense to Mary. But this is um, Mary receiving her visitation from the angel announcing that she, she would have the Messiah. And, and so Mary sees the angel and she's afraid. And the angel says, do not be afraid, Mary. This is uh, Luke 1, 30 to 33. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. And when the angel appeared to Joseph, he said the same thing, but he goes on to say, because he'll save his people from their sins. That's what Jesus means, Savior. You're, you're to call him Jesus. He will, be a great, he will be great and will be called the Son of God, the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Okay, how do you have a kingdom that you reign over forever without resurrection? Without resurrection of Christ, resurrection of the dead in Christ, there is no eternal kingdom. There is nothing for him to rule over forever. So this passage makes sense to Mary because resurrection was an underlying truth throughout the whole New Testament. That's what we want to focus on today, is just to understand more about it. So in Isaiah, Isaiah 26, 19, uh, I, I, I want to show you where Isaiah talks about resurrection. And this is, in this chapter, Isaiah is like, like the psalmist. He's kind of expressing his heart to God throughout this uh, chapter. And in Isaiah 26, verse 19, it says this. In, in this Isaiah is writing to, speaking to the Lord. And he says, but your dead will live. And the, the NIV actually inserts Lord there. But uh, your dead will live, their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. So Isaiah looked forward to the day that the earth was going to give birth to the dead, that God's going to resurrect the dead. But my, old fa my favorite Old Testament pa uh, passage is from Job. And if you understand Job, Job um, was in just a, an extreme state of suffering. He had lost his health. He had lost his, his, uh, all of his wealth. He had lost his children. And even his own wife had rejected him and turned against him. And here's what Job says. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. After my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. 
you can imagine with the suffering that he's going through, and then he has these friends that come to try to encourage him, and all they want to do is heap guilt and shame on him and try to tell him that the suffering he's gone through is his fault. He's disappointed God somehow. And he says this. He says, I know my Redeemer lives. I know it. And he says, I know he's going to stand on the earth one day. And that's an amazing thing for this season of redemptive history, for him to state this so clearly and with, with such power. And after my skin has been destroyed, the real old version of the King James says, after worms have eaten my flesh. And so he's recognizing here, uh, he's recognizing the reality of death, and he's recognizing the reality of decomposition, that your body just rots away after you die, and it ultimately rejoins uh, the, 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 the whole ecosystem. But my sin has been destroyed. But then he says this, yet with my eyes, with my, in my flesh, I will see God. This flesh is going to be destroyed. It's going to rot away. But in this body, I'll see God. And then he gets more specific than that. I myself will see him with my own eyes. With these eyes, I'm going to see God. I'm going to see my Savior. And he says, me, not another, me. Not some substitute me, but me, the real me. And then he just expresses that, that longing, how my heart yearns for this day to come. How my heart yearns for him. I wonder if any of us here are yearning. Do you ever yearn, just yearn, Oh God, when, when, when is this, the pain of this life going to end? And Lord, when are you going to come back? Come back, Lord, come back. You know, I think, I think sometimes, especially in a culture where uh, it's, you know, there's, there's not any real overt persecution, not that great, not, not anything physical usually, uh, maybe on rare occasions, but, you know, not severe persecution. We're pretty much free to go where we want to go, say what we want to say, and do what we want to do. If... if if we think, well, you know what? Lord, I want you to come back, but I sure have been looking forward to that new carpet in the living room. I just bought a new car, God. Why don't you come in six months? I was, we planned this trip out west. It's easy for us to minimize the impact and the value that this concept of resurrection would have to a suffering world. And down through the centuries, Christians have not had it the way we have it here. And in cultures all around the world today, if you preached on resurrection, they'd be jumping up and down and cheering and saying, let it be right now. We want it right now. And I think what we have to do is ask God to give us perspective. Give us perspective. Lord, let me see. Let me see this. Let me see the beauty of this and the power of this and the impact on my heart to, to yearn for this. To, n- n- don't wait for a bad diagnosis for, from the doctor, okay? You know, don't wait for your life to come falling apart and crashing down. Yearn for it. I, I want to I be in, in the spot I'm in now and yearn for this to happen and desire it like Job did. But isn't that a powerful, beautiful uh, expression? So how's it happen? Well, First Thessalonians 4 gives us some idea. And, and here he says this, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17, what's happening here is uh, some false teachers are telling them that the resurrection has already occurred. 
and that, that um, if you're left here, well, then too bad. And, uh, and it's, it's already, it's, or there is no resurrection. There is no literal resurrection. So he's trying to correct that. And he says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. So he says, you're different. If you're a believer in Christ, you're different. Don't look around and, and grieve the way the rest of the world grieves. Don't look to the rest of the world for the cues on what this means that they've died. He goes on to say, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again because he rose again, so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And he uses this euphemism of falling asleep to represent death, falling asleep in him, believers. And then it says, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have already fallen asleep. So he's saying, not only are your loved ones who've fallen asleep going to get in on this, but they're going to they're be ahead of us in the whole process. And so after he makes that statement, then he says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. So Jesus returns just as he left. He left ascending into heaven. He's going to return from heaven, descending back to the earth. But as he is descending back to the earth, there's going to be a shout, a trumpet's blast. And when that trumpet blasts, the dead are going to rise. That's when Job is going to rise. That's when he's going to have his, his yearning fulfilled, fulfilled. He's going to rise, and he is going to have a new body, and the dead come out of the graves. I've often thought the place you want to be when this happens is like driving right past a graveyard. <laughs> you know, if you see that, if you see the graves busting open and people coming out, just pull off to the side of the road because you're going next to get ready. But uh, the dead in Christ are going to arise first. And then he says, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up in the air with him. Now, it's kind of an odd picture Jesus is coming back to the earth. Why are we all caught up in the air with him? Well, what would happen in um, ancient times would be this. A king goes out to war, to battle, and he's been victorious. And when he's coming back to the city, back to the home, the capital, all the people would come out from the city, and they would meet him a mile, two miles out from the city and accompany him back into the city as the conquering victor. And so we see that picture, Jesus coming back as the conquering victor, victory over death. Victory over death has come. And so we go out to greet him and meet, with, with him, meet him and then come back with him, accompanying him, cheering with him. Same picture is uh, in, in the um, triumphal entry, at the end of Jesus' life. So living believers are caught up in the air, just like Job said. And you might say, well, wait a second. Where is Job's body? You know, it's gone. It's completely, it's completely gone. But the only answer I have for that is this. God's Word says it. I believe it. And He knows where the molecules are. Okay? He knows where the molecules are. And, and so He's going to get a handful of those molecules and reconstitute Job's body. 
And you might say, well, what's that mean? Is it gonna, you know, what's it going to look like? And, and how, how's that, how's that going to happen? Well, Paul says this in one place. He says, it's kind of like this. He says, when you plant a tree, you don't, you, well, I know we go to the nursery and we buy a tree that's already been planted. But if you want to plant a tree from the get-go, you put a seed in the ground and what comes up? What grows from that seed? Not another seed, but a tree. You put a seed in the ground and a tomato plant comes. You put a seed in the ground and a flower comes. And so his point is, what is sown is not the thing that is produced. And so then he says this in a passage in 2 Corinthians. He says, just like that, seed to flower, to tree, to plant, just like that, in the in, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And so he says, from perishable to imperishable. Uh, how many of you, when you go shopping, do you look at the expiration date on the things you buy? We always do, especially if it's perishable. Because if it's, you, you don't want to buy something that's expiring that day. You know, it's not a good idea. Because what happens after the expiration date? It gets, it gets, it rots. It's no good anymore. Our bodies have an expiration date. That's what he's saying. We're perishable. But we're going to become imperishable. In the resurrection, we will have bodies that are imperishable. He said, we die in dishonor, and there's so many things that, that often accompany death that make it a, a painful, uh, grievous thing that it's like dishonor. But he says, we are raised in glory. And glory in the Bible refers to all of God's attributes because he's, he's, he's glory. He is glory. And he dwells in unapproachable light, it says. And so often when you read about uh, glory in the Bible, it is talking about light, brightness. And, and so as Jesus shined on the Mount of Transfiguration, you and I are going to have glory. We're going to shine like Jesus. When Jesus shined on the Mount of Transfiguration, what was inside him burst out. Now, what's inside us can't burst out because these bodies have not yet been glorified. Now, his body, he was sinless. And so the glory could shine right through him. When, when we're resurrected, we're going to have bodies that shine like Jesus. We're, we're put, put in the ground in weakness. We're buried in weakness. And we are raised in power. A weak body that gets sick, that gets tired, that gets hungry. If I don't get the right amount of sleep, it's, you know, life, isn't, life isn't nearly as good. He says we're going to be raised in power, powerful bodies. And then finally... It's sown a natural body. A natural body is the char characteristics of just the natural body find its origin in the fall, created in the image of God, but fallen, and suited to live in a fallen world, impacted by the fall of man and, and, and living in a fallen world. That's the natural body. The spiritual body, and get this, it doesn't, it doesn't say spirit body. 
It doesn't say the spirit body. It's not like we're going to get new bodies. Oh, yeah, they're like spirit bodies, like, like Casper the ghost has a body. It's not like that. They are spiritual bodies, meaning bodies that are suited by the Holy Spirit to live in the kingdom of God fully and designed and enlivened by the Holy Spirit. It's like our very DNA is going to change. We're going to become different types of people, but it's still going to be me, just like Job said, I myself with my own eyes. But the body is going to be transformed into something really glorious and incredible. And so the best picture we have of that is of Jesus and his resurrection body. So you remember Lazarus was uh, raised from the dead. Lazarus, Jesus, you know, come forth, and Lazarus comes out of the grave wrapped in his grave clothes. So the same body that went into the grave was revived, given new life. Same body came out of the grave, not, not a glorified body, but a body that still had those characteristics of weakness and dishonor, a natural body, so that it died again. So a resurrection is different than a ra- being raised from the dead. So resurrection is different than being raised from the dead. Resurrection body, Jesus came out of the grave with. He didn't come out in his grave clothes. He left the grave clothes behind. He passed right through them. Jesus came out of the grave with a spiritual body. Same body that went into the grave. He said to his apostles, he said, see, it's really me. Touch me. He could be touched. He had substance. There was, it was real, a real body, but it was a body designed for eternity, not designed for temporary life in this fallen world. And so he came out with a real body that could be touched. He came out with a body that could be recognized, other than the time that he uh, cloaked himself so they couldn't recognize him on the road to Emmaus. They look at him, they say, that's Jesus. And so it's, he's recognizable. He could eat food. So either that was a miracle that he could eat food or he was resurrected with a full system, you know, internal as well as external. So he could eat food and there is going to be a wedding feast of the lamb. I don't see why we don't take that literally, but um, he could appear in locked rooms. The, the apostles were all locked away in this room, fearing the, uh, you know, the, the leader, spirit, the religious leaders kind of coming and take their lives just like they did Jesus' life. And suddenly, Jesus is just there. And again, we tend to think of that in ghostly terms. Well, yeah, of course, ghosts can just go wherever they want to go. But it's different than that. Jesus had real substance. First thing he says to them in the room is, as I've already said, here, touch me, touch me. Someone said this to me. They said, the more dense thing can pass through the less dense thing. So if I had a washcloth here and I stretched it out and made a cup of it and you poured a pitcher of water into it, what would happen to the water? Go right through it because the water is more dense than the wash rag. If I had a glass bowl and you poured the water in, what would happen? The water would contain the bowl because the glass is more dense than the water. Now, if that's true, then what that means is Jesus' body had a density to it and a quality to it that is not known in this lifetime. And that it, it enabled him just to pass through the wall, walk right through the door. 
And so it's, there's, there's gonna be something of that nature about our resurrection bodies because it's gonna be just like Jesus' body. Now, I don't know about this part, but I'm gonna tell you anyway. It seems like Jesus was not bound by gravity. Okay, it, it may have just been a miracle when he floated up to heaven, but uh, he's gonna come back that way too. I, I think it's a little bit too crass to say we're gonna be able to fly. But there might be something to that. You know, gravity may no longer, on the one hand, we're more dense than anything else in this plan, on this planet. But on the other hand, we're able to overcome gravity. And so there's going to be all these wonderful things that are going to happen to our bodies when Jesus returns. And we need to, this whole idea of glory, I mentioned it earlier. And, and Moses shined, his face shined. And we're, that, that was just natural for Moses. When Moses was on the mountain in God's presence, he came down and his face shined. That was the unnatural thing for him. That was against nature, and that's why it, it diminished and it faded. But when we become, when we are resurrected into these new bodies, the natural state of existence will be to bear the glory of God and the glory of the new nature that he's already put into us and Paul said, uh, Christ in you is the hope of glory. That glory is going to just shine. It's going to be there. We're going to see it. And so all these things are going to happen. But um, spiritual growth today is a process. We know that. It's, you know, it's one step ahead, two steps forward, three steps forward, and two steps back, as they put it. But um, what's this resurrection? Is that going to be a process? 1 Corinthians 15 Paul says this, 51 to 53. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We'll not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the imperishable must clothe itself with the, for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. So he says here, it's going to happen in an instant, the blink of an eye. They say the blink of an eye can be anywhere from like one-tenth of a second to a third of a second, maybe half a second. So let's just say a third of a second. It's going to happen in a third of a second. It's going to be instantaneous that our bodies are going to be changed like this. And this, this raises the question about how does this all impact our lives today? You know, how, how should this impact the way I live today in my relationship with other people and in my relationship with God? How do we relate to the events of life and to the struggles and, and the pains of life? Well, for one thing, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17 through 18, a phrase I didn't include before when we read this, but he says, after that, we who are, di we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. And then he says this, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Okay, be encouraged. This is gonna happen. Be encouraged. Job was right. You're gonna see, he's, he, you're gonna see him with, your, with the very eyes you have in your head right now because there's a resurrection day coming. And when that resurrection comes, the things you struggle with because of this physical body, which is our interface with the fallen world, 
and in this physical body with his desires interfaces with the world. And, and because my mind isn't fully renewed, it makes it hard for me to live fully out of the new heart I have, the new nature that I have. But the day's going to come when the physical body is going to be changed. My flesh is going to be changed so that all those hindrances that are not going to be there. You know, being impatient or, or because we're tired or, or just giving up because we just don't have the strength to keep going any longer. All the different things that waylay us and keep us from moving ahead, those are all going to be gone because the body itself is going to be changed. And so uh, our lives today, it impacts. So we should be encouraged by that. Grieve, but don't grieve like those who have no hope. Uh, probably 30, 40 years ago, I heard this old pastor from the South. His name was Vance Havner. Anybody here ever hear of Vance Havner? He was a great old preacher, southern preacher. And, and when I heard him, he, his wife had just died. And he said, and he's talking about it in this slow country, uh, southern drawl. And he said, I'm not going to try to imitate it. You just imagine it. But he just said, well, yes, yeah, someone came up to me and they said, boy, I'm sorry you lost your wife. And he said, I looked at him and I said, I didn't lose her. I know right where she is. So you could think that's kind of like a smart aleck answer, but uh, this was a guy who was like in his upper 80s, so he, he, gets some credit, he gets some grace there. I didn't lose her. I know right where she is. So friends and family who have died are not lost if they knew the Lord. If they knew the Lord, they're not lost. And they are with the Lord right now in his presence, waiting for the day of full resurrection whether that means they have, some, some theologians believe there's like an interim body that God gives them, you know, not their real body that they were born with, but an interim body just to close the, the gap between the time that they go to heaven and the time that their real body, physical being is raised in glory and, and they're rejoined with their, with their bodies. But um, whether that's true or not, isn't that relevant because the Lord knows how that works and it's going to be, it's going to be great, whatever, however that works. But uh, we know we'll see them again and we will know them, we'll understand, we'll recognize them. So we gain strength, strength of heart through this. And that's, that's another thing in 2 Corinthians, Paul says this for chapter 4, verse 16. He says, therefore we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are activating for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. You can say what's seen is temporary, and therefore not as real what is unseen is eternal and therefore more real, if we think in those terms. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. And so he talks there about the, the new body that we're going to receive, but he also talks about the pains that we go through now. And he, and, and he says that we, have, we experience the effects of aging, which he calls wasting away. And you know, as the years go by, you get more pains in your body, your body doesn't function quite as well as it did, you don't quite have the, the balance you did. And it's not necessary that that happens. Some people, like Moses, never lost a step his whole life. 
And that would, that, would be, that would be awesome. But typically, you know, we age, and that's what he's saying here. My mother is 94 years old, and um, she's losing her memory. Um, she's just been a beautiful, healthy woman all of her life. And up until about 10 years ago, she looked probably like she was in her 60s. But lately, she has been losing weight. And, you know, she started out about 5'2". She's probably five foot now. And, and a couple weeks ago, she said to my sisters, she said, I don't mind getting old and dying, but why do I have to shrivel up first? <laughs> That's kind of what he's talking about here. Even though that happens, he says, there's something glorious coming. So God's greater than that. He's greater than the effects of aging. He says this, we're being renewed day by day. Internally, we're being renewed day by day. As my body grows weaker, my, my heart grows stronger. That's what he's saying. Day by day, every day is stronger. We can view our troubles in perspective, you know, you're already on the other side of the river. Perspective. You know, we, we go through troubles and, and trials, and these people were facing real trials and about to face horrendous trials in just a few years when Nero's persecution comes. And, and the Apostle Paul calls it uh, the light and, and temporary things that we're, uh, that we're experiencing, light and momentary struggles and trials. We can rest in the truth that death is defeated. Death is defeated. Death is the last enemy. Physical death, death, spiritual death has already been defeated. And the whole package is this. We are spirit and body. You can say some people say spirit, soul, and body. Or we are material and immaterial. We're both. And so we don't want, we don't want to miss that. But we can understand that the unseen is greater than the seen. And that's why he says we focus on that. We focus on the unseen. We keep our eyes on the unseen because the unseen is the more real. The unseen is the eternal. The unseen is the unending. And what we're dealing with right now is just the temporary. And, and so we keep our eyes focused on the unseen. And one of the problems we have is that we have a tendency to look around us and we see the world around us, the material world and life around us, and we count those as facts. So it's a fact. I wrecked my car. I don't know how I'm going to get to work. But the problem is we jump right from facts to conclusions, what we call facts to conclusions. Therefore, I'm going to probably lose my job and lose my house. Oh, my, what's going to happen? But what, what we need to do is to factor in eternity, factor in the unseen. We need to factor in the promises of God's Word. And so we say, yeah, I wrecked my car. I don't know how I'm going to get to work. It's going to be interesting to see how God's going to work this out. And, and that, that's, by, that's keeping your mind and your heart focused on the unseen, the eternal, the powerful. And, and recognize, as I've already said, the unseen world has greater density and reality to it than the material world in which we live. And the unseen world created the material world. God, who is spirit, spoke, and this all came about. And so the thing that's created cannot be greater than the thing that created it. 
And so what we see here cannot be more real or more factual than the truth of God's Word and the promises that God gives us in His Word. And that's a huge part of our spiritual growth is to begin to understand that and begin to live on that basis. And so that's what this whole understanding resurrection gives us an upper, a step that direction. Now, Romans 8 is just a beautiful passage. Uh, the, whole ch- the whole chapter is wonderful. But that's where he talks about the flesh and, and the flesh, you know, being the problem in our, in our hearts and our lives as far as, as far as our spiritual growth goes. And then he says this. He says, we know the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So creation itself is groaning. And you, and you look at creation, and what do we see? What are things that are increasing even? Hurricanes, earthquakes, tornadoes. The earth is groaning. But he says this, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit has changed me, he's given me a new nature. He says, we groan inwardly as we eagerly wait, as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. And you could put the word full in there because that's what he's saying, our full adoption to sonship, which happens when? When our bodies are redeemed, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we're saved, Paul says. And so the redemption of the body is as important to God as the forgiveness of sins or the the new nature I get or any other aspect of salvation that you can think of because God created the body. He created the body before sin. Sin impacted the human body, but God is going to restore that and he's going to make it something greater even than it was in the original creation because we're going to be like Jesus when he came out of the grave. And so it's wrong for us to say that we, if you ever hear this, if you ever hear this, I'm just a spirit trapped in this flesh suit. I've heard people say that. I'm just a spirit trapped in this body until I get freed from it. That, that's unbiblical. That is Gnosticism. And reject that thinking and, and any conclusions drawn on that basis are probably not healthy. Now, you can hear someone make a statement that's off like that, and 99% of everything else they say is good. And, and so don't, like, don't condemn a preacher just because they make one statement. But listen with caution if you hear someone say something like that. But um, we are spirit and body, spirit, soul, and body. And God values the body enough to resurrect it. He does. He values it enough that Jesus died for it on the cross and released power so that we can be resurrected one day. And that means I should take care of it now. Don't take the attitude, well, God's going to fix it all someday, so let's eat, drink, and be merry. Uh, you, know, you, you know, pile on the potato chips and the beer and whatever else. Um, nothing wrong with potato chips or beer for that matter. Just don't overdo it, okay? We need to take care of our bodies. We need to exercise and be wise and, and sleep the right amount of sleep and get the right amount of sleep because God created the body and he loves it enough he's going to resurrect it one day. So, uh, to begin to draw this conclusion, this all just leads us to hope. Apostle Paul said this, and in, in when he was talking about resurrection, not, not just going to heaven when we die, but resurrection, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, he says, if for, this, if for this life alone we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. You know, I've heard someone say, well, 
even if, even if it's not true, the Christian life is still the best way to live. Do you know the only people that could say that? Yeah, I'm, I'm great, quite sure it was an American Christian that came up with that because we've lived in this bubble of, of, um, of protection for all these uh, generations where it's okay to be a Christian. And, but for nine-tenths of the world, that's not the way it is. And, and it's ridiculous to say that because to live as a Christian means you're, you're going to be roused in the middle of the night, your wife's going to be raped, your house is going to be burned down, and if you survive, you're going to spend the rest of your life in prison. That happens all the time today around the world. And so to, to, to minimize everything, Apostle Paul is taking it seriously here. He, he goes on to say, look, in other places he said this, look, if, if I fought with lions, if, if I was in the arena and, and the lions came, it, if there isn't a hope of life after death, then what hope do we have? He said, would be miserable. And so he goes on to say this then in Romans 8, 18. Um, and I don't say that to shame anybody. I mean, I'm an American Christian. I love America, and I'm so thankful I live here, thankful for freedom, don't want to see it go. Uh, don't get me wrong on that. But I'm just saying that there are battles we face because we don't understand the realities of some of the things that are happening around the world today. And we, and we have to be alert to that, that it's easy to slip into a sense of um, that this is normalcy. And, and it's, it's not normal for probably most Christians in the world and throughout history. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 8.18, he said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. And that passage is one that my wife chose for labor when she was having our children. And our first child took 26 hours in the last oh, six hours were really, really rough. But um, my job was to quote that verse to her. And that's what I did. And she made it. She's a tough gal. So to summarize this whole thing, um, we, we have confidence that the future will be better than the present, okay? That's, we live with that confidence. We live with that confidence. And... Uh, <laughs> When we lose people we love, we know we're going to see them again. We're going to recognize them. If they knew Jesus, we're going to see them again. We're going to recognize them. Our bodies are going to be fully redeemed and changed. No more struggles with what Paul calls the flesh. Glorified bodies like Jesus. No longer wasting away, but immortal, eternal, and filled with glory. That's, that's our, our ultimate end. So we can fix our focus now on the unseen realm because of that. We know that's where we're going to spend eternity. Let's fix our focus and our confidence in that now and draw the life and the power of the kingdom of God into our lives by doing that. And finally, we have, we have a great and wonderful hope of uh, resurrection bodies, confidence in the future. So this one last thing I have to end with. So far, everything's been pretty positive about what I've said. I, think, I hope it has. And um, there's one other thing that we have to know. Jesus said this. He said, a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to life, to live. They'll get new bodies, resurrection bodies. And these are the words of Jesus. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. It's not just Christians that are going to be resurrected. But those that have rejected Christ, those who don't know Christ, are going to be resurrected as well. They're going to be resurrected in order to be condemned. 
and to face judgment. They've chosen, they have chosen to ignore God, to reject God, and so they're going to then find out the fullness of what that means to go off into eternity without God and, and to live in eternity without the joys of knowing the Lord. And so I bring that to you, and I want to say it's not teaching works salvation. What it's teaching is you get a new heart that creates a new type of life. And so he's talking about the outcome of the life and, and not, not as the way we get in the way we get into relationship with God, but just the outcome of knowing God or the outcome of not knowing God. And so would you stand with me? Let's, let's draw our, our service to a close. And I, and I want to say this. Um, there's, there's a guy, a quarterback in the NFL named Jim Kelly, and... Um, he had a son who died, and his wife was a Christian, and his son, I think, was four or five years old when he died, and Jim eventually came to faith in Christ, received Christ, but the thing that kept eating at him was he wanted to see his son again, and he finally realized that it was only by submitting his life to Christ that he would see his son again, and so if there's anyone here today that you have a family member that died and they knew Jesus and you don't know Jesus, the way you're gonna see them again is to accept Christ. It's that, that's, how, that's how it's gonna happen. To humble yourself and to say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I haven't lived for you. I wanna live for you. And I wanna lead you in a prayer if that's, if, if that's you. But as well, for anyone here today that's saying, I, you know, I don't know Jesus. I don't know what, during that resurrection which side I'm going to come out on. I just don't know. Well, you can know. Because the Bible says to as many as received him, he gave the right to be called children of God. And so if you've never accepted Christ for whatever reason, you're, you're, God's speaking to you right now. Uh, just pray something like this with me. It, it doesn't have to be exactly what I'm saying. There's no magic formula and no magic words. It's a matter of you taking your heart before God. And I mean, it could just be that it dawns on you right now and you say, I really believe that. And you tell God that. But it doesn't hurt to pray it too. And just to, just to, so just follow this prayer, something like this. Just say to him, whether you, whether you have a loved one that's gone on and you want to make sure you see them again, uh, but it's not just I want to see them again. It is, Jesus, I realize that it's by following you that I'll get the same thing they had. And, and I want to see them again and tell them in heaven that I'm there because of them. And so pray this with me. Just pray something like this. Just, God, here I am. I come to you. And I've heard about your son, Jesus. Jesus, I've heard that you died on the cross for me. Jesus, I've heard you rose from the dead. And I've heard that anyone, people, anyone, including me, if we come to you, we can be forgiven, receive new hearts and new life. And Jesus, I want that. I want that. 
I believe the things I've heard about you and I want you to be in my life. Come into my life right now, Jesus. Give me the new life I can have through you and the assurance of being on the right side of that resurrection when that day comes. In Jesus' name, amen.